Good morning. I'm so excited to be here. I hope you guys are too. As Randy mentioned, we are wrapping up our box office wisdom message series. Movies have all kinds of ideas in them, and so we've been looking at some of the themes or some of the other ideas that sprout out of that, and then looking at, as Randy mentioned, what the Bible says about how life really works. So I want to give a brief recap before we jump into what we're talking about today. Week one, if, you, if you're new here today, we're so excited that you're here. We've been looking at this for a few different weeks, so here's what we've been doing. Week one, we looked at how to read a movie, okay? Because those messages are there, they are packaged pretty specifically sometimes, and it's entertaining. And so when you watch a movie, it's like you're tasting something so delicious. But as we're talking about, you have to filter that, have to figure out, do I want this in me or not? And so we looked at that in the first week. And then we started jumping into the movies. Week two, we looked at After Earth, first movie. After Earth, After Fear. And there was this idea that in the movie that fear is a choice, and therefore it's not really real. And we looked at what the Bible says, which is that, you know what, fear is real. The choice we have is how we respond to it after that. And God wants to help us with that. Week three, we looked at Man of Steel, power and purpose. And we looked at how inspiring Superman can be, but there's a catch We will never be Superman. And so that can be disappointing. That can be frustrating or discouraging. But the Bible says that actually we can get tremendous power and deep purpose if we will align our lives and our choices with the way that God has designed purpose in our life. And so that's a real opportunity for us. And it can be truly epic and truly heroic as we step forward in life in God's way. Next week we looked at Monsters University. And the theme was compete or cooperate. And that movie is such a great picture of that. They, the two go head, they, they butt heads a lot at the beginning, and then finally they figure out, you know, we are so much better when we're teaming up together. We enjoy the relationship, we can have fun together, and we can make real progress in life. And that's actually the way the Bible describes it. When we rival with people, we cause a lot of ruin for ourselves and for others. But when we choose to team up, when we look at the way God gives us opportunities to make choices to team up, that can really transform our relationships. And so we looked at that. The next week was White House Down. I don't know if you saw that. I didn't. There was this part at the beginning, though, apparently, where the guy was so sure he was going to get his dream job, and then he didn't. So what do we do when things don't go as planned? That's happened to me many times. It's happened to you. How do we respond to that? And we looked at how the Bible says the way we respond makes all the difference. We're in a broken world. There are disappointments along the way. How we respond makes all the difference. God wants us to hope in him, to trust in his plans, to look at things as best we can from his perspective, and to press on even when they don't go the way we want them to. Then we looked at, are you getting the sense that we've been doing this for a while? We've had a lot of fun, different kinds of movies. Then we looked at World War Z, and the idea is zombies, right? And there's this fascination with zombies. I myself have played a game called Plants vs. Zombies a time or two or maybe a hundred times, maybe more. We have this fascination, right? What is it about zombies that's so fascinating? Well, we won't get into it today, but that week what we looked at was when we come into life, we are in a sense like a zombie. We are spiritually dead and we kind of wander around not living the kind of life that Jesus offers us, that he meant for us to live. And we even devour each other in a way in the way that we handle relationships, trying to use people for my advantage rather than looking to team up together, looking to to do good to them as I move through life. And there's no cure for that except for Jesus Christ himself. Jesus Christ is the cure. And so we looked at that that week. For eternal life, life that stretches into eternity with God, and for the best kind of life here and now. 
we can experience that as we turn to Jesus, allow him to be the boss of our lives, and then walk with him step by step. Last week, we looked at the Lone Ranger, and he's always wearing a mask. And the question was, what's behind the mask? Are you wearing a mask? Am I? And we talked about this promise, this, this false promise that if I put on a mask, I will be protected from the hurts either that I've experienced in the past or that I imagine I might experience. And, and I can move through life in safety. But what actually happens is we move through life isolated. We experience loneliness that we don't need to experience. And we cannot make progress in life the way we can when we really open up to others. And so we looked at how do we take off our mask in front of God so that we can get real with him. He, he knows everything about us anyway. And then how can we do that with other people? And then what tremendous benefits there are as we can choose to trust God, take off the masks, and move forward in life in his ways with a community of people around us. Now, today we are talking about, as Randy mentioned, resentment, anger, hurt, and revenge. And a guy who dealt with all these things. So let's take a look at this. to meet the Wolverine. That's not who I am anymore. For many years, I have wanted to thank you for saving my life. But I didn't send for you only to thank you, Logan. I wanted to repay you. A gift to equal the life you gave me. You have struggled long enough. I can end your eternity. Make you mortal. Claws don't come out. Um, I love the quote where he says, what they did to me, what I am, can't be undone. And then the other guy says, don't be so sure. We're, we're going to come back to that in a minute um, because we're talking about revenge. Can, think, can these kinds of things be undone? But before we do that, I want to take you on a little time trip back to the year 1991. It was the fall of 1991, and for me, I was a budding egomaniac, and it was all about soccer and the senior class elections. Now, I'll give you a second to calculate my age if that's interesting for you, because I know I would be doing that right now. Wait, wait, 1991? 1991, it's the fall. I go out for soccer practice one day. We started practice by jogging around. So there I am with my buddies. We're running along, and I see a girl named Tiki Rivers from our school with her friend. Tiki and her friend 
just kind of watching us go by. And then I hear something along the lines of, Ben lost, Ben lost, Ben lost, in front of me and my friends as we go on by. Thankfully, I had an excuse to just keep running, right? I got to do my, my jogging. So I didn't have to like face off with her or anything. But why would she do that? Why would she rub that sort of thing in my face right in front of all my, my teammates? Well, we rewind just a little bit. Earlier in the day, there had been a big announcement. The whole school its actually pretty similar to this. Sometimes I think of my high school when, when we come to Keppel. But the announcement went out. Uh, the class secretary is so-and-so. The class treasurer is so-and-so. They went on and they said, and for class president, we had three candidates. We're going to have a runoff. The top two vote-getters will be in a runoff. The top two vote-getters are... Cardell Smith and Tiki Rivers. And so the budding eagle maniac was announced as third out of third in front of the whole school. It was amazing. It was actually very good for me. Rewind a little bit more. We were in an auditorium very much like this, and it was the speech day. Give speech to all the senior class members. This is why you should vote for me. The atmosphere was a little rowdy. I found it a little bit obnoxious at times. Some of my friends were running for other offices, and I just thought, ah, why are they being rude to my friends? Why, why are they acting like this? And finally, last was the senior class president's speeches. And so Cardell came up and gave his speech, and then Tiki came up. And Tiki, as she came up to, to give her speech, was sort of just dancing around and celebrating, and her friends were cheering for her, and I just was so annoyed. I thought it was so obnoxious. So when it was my turn to go up, what did I do? I went up and I said something like this. Hello, my name is Ben Montgomery, and there won't be any victory dances until after the election. Oh, snap. Back then, people said, oh, snap, and it wasn't ironic. That's just the way we talked back then. I called her out in front of the whole school, the whole senior class. It's no wonder she wanted payback later. Looking back at it now, it is totally understandable. I'm glad it wasn't worse, to be honest, because it was very aggressive the way I said it, and it was meant to, to put her in her place. It was rude. It was uncalled for. Now, another thing happened during high school, which also plays into this whole topic of, of revenge and, and how do we deal with this stuff as it, as it happens to us. I, I used to ride the train to school every day. It's, it's Chicago. I should have mentioned that earlier. I grew up in Chicago, and so I... I considered myself kind of a street-smart, cool city kid, and I'd ride the train every day, and usually that was fine, and um, had, you know, just, it was kind of fun, and I thought I was cool, but one day, it was after dark, I think, and I realized, wow, I'm on this particular car of the train by myself, and then three guys came in, a little bit bigger than me, or a little bit older, and still probably teenagers, and they sort of boxed me in to where I was sitting, and then the one guy said, hey, let me borrow some money or something like that. And it's like, give me a break. I'm never going to see you again. These guys are trying to rob me. And um, I don't remember exactly what happened. I, I think I probably lied about having a wallet. I don't know why they didn't check. But they didn't get my wallet. And then he said something like, you better give me something. And um, so I offered him my gloves. It was winter, I guess. These gloves were pitiful. So he didn't want them. It was, it was really kind of funny. Now it's like, I'm not taking your gloves. They got off the train. They didn't take anything of mine. But let me tell you, I was so scared and so angry. It's like, I want them to feel what I just felt. And think about it again later. I want them to, no, I want to be the one to make them feel what I just felt. I imagine Tiki felt sort of like that too. 
How can I embarrass him since he embarrassed me? So, we deal with that in life. You guys may be already thinking of your own versions of these kinds of, these kinds of incidents, like when you were hurt and you wanted payback. Now, in movies, revenge is a very, very common and satisfying theme. I mean, there's so many movies that deal with it. I mean, Gladiator, Man on Fire, Kill Bill, The Count of Monte Cristo. There's an old Mel Gibson movie called Payback where it's get ready, get ready to root for the bad guy. And the whole thing is watch him get revenge, right? The people who hurt him were bad guys too, so you could kind of go along with it. But, I mean, just about every horror film ever made, right? Harry Potter, there's some revenge in Harry Potter. I'm a big fan of Harry Potter. And... We can really, really go along with it. I would, I would say that it's one of the most satisfying and cathartic experiences you can have in a movie is to see something go wrong and then see revenge taken later. And that's not right, but I think that that's the way that we often experience it. Have you ever been, gotten to the end and you're just so there, like, yeah, tell him or tell her or do it or get him? Or in the case of Kung Fu Panda when he grabs his pinky, skadoosh, yes got him right we just we just love that in movies now why why is it so satisfying in movies the reason is because we connect revenge with justice we connect revenge with justice and justice justice is wired into the deepest part of who we are we want justice we may have different ways of thinking about getting it but we want it we look at it and we give it very high value, whether we we think about it that way or not. Everybody wants justice. And so when it comes to a movie, that's the version of justice. In movies, things happen in two hours, right? Minute eight, something terrible happens to our hero. Minute 115, everything is made right. As you know, that never happens in real life, right? We don't get justice in two hours. It just doesn't work that way. But in a movie, that's very satisfying. The other thing about movies is, in a movie, God is almost never factored in. They don't really talk about God. You don't get a sense that God is uh, a factor in any of the decisions they're making. And so because he's absent from the storytelling, it is completely natural to think the main character is the one who needs to make things right, right. He or she needs to take justice into her own hands. If Wolverine doesn't take care of things, no one else will, right? In kids' movies, we don't see revenge the same way, but we very often see bad things happening to the bad guys, right? Movie justice, all settled and dealt with in two hours. Now, in real life, we're not approaching things the way Wolverine does, right? The the claws aren't coming out, but we are all, at different times, wrestling with that desire for payback. And if we give into it, we're causing a lot of damage, small ways, big ways, subtle ways, sort of grown-up ways, in very direct and childish ways. It's, it's all in the mix as we walk through life. So for a couple minutes, I want to talk about what, what's happening when we face injustice, when we get hurt. What's, the, what's actually happening there? There's something called the injustice gap. So I want to talk about that for a second. Why, think about this. Why, why do we say that we owe somebody something? Well, I owe him an apology. Or why do we say that we have to make it up to somebody? That's the language of debt. When people wrong us, here we are, the relationship is close. When people wrong us, a gap is created. And that gap, big or small, is a kind of a debt. Something has been taken. It's a very helpful way to think about it. Something has been taken from you. Or you 
doing something to someone else, have taken something from them. If a child is riding down the street, gets knocked off their bicycle, and the bicycle is stolen, the bicycle obviously is taken, but something else as well. In that moment, which cannot be undone, the child's sense of well-being is taken, right? Sense of safety, security. It's just a terrible feeling. On the train, nothing was taken, nothing physical, but my anger, my desire for revenge is really clear evidence that there was something, something happened there so that a debt was owed. When I embarrassed Tiki in front of all her classmates, the same thing. Something was taken even though it wasn't physical. You've had things taken from you and you've taken things from other people and we move through life having to try to sort that out. Whenever a debt is incurred, we want to balance things out. To some degree or another, the relationship, as I said, there's a gap, it's broken. It might be small, might be big, but there's a break there. Hurt, anger, possibly resentment. The root of, resen- of revenge, as we, we have in the title, is, is resentment. If we let resentment start to s- sink in and really take root, then we start to go into payback mode, revenge mode. The problem is revenge never fills the gap. Revenge never fills the gap. Getting even is a fallacy. When you pay back wrong with wrong, you still can't get back what was taken from you. You cannot undo what already happened. Imagine being shut out of a social group. The group makes it very clear that they do not want you around. Right? Speaking of movies, there was a little movie called Mean Girls. We watched that, and my wife, I think I remember correctly, said, that's not funny to watch because it's pretty real. Right? Imagine that. What, how, what can you do to the mean girls or the mean guys, the jerks at work or at school or whoever it is, to undo what they've already done? You can't. Imagine divorce. If you or someone you love has experienced divorce, you've seen firsthand that certain things have been taken that can't be given back. Like I said, our world, our world is broken. Right? Humiliation, betrayal, we deal with these things as we move through life. These things can't be undone. In fact... There's certain things we may deal with that pain for the rest of our life. And we see this in the movie. You know, he, he's immortal. His body heals itself. So he, he, he's physically healed, but he goes on and on and on in that trailer. They sort of reference it, carrying the bad things that have been done to him. There's no relief. And you sort of get the idea from the trailer that he would really love some relief. And the movie hasn't come out yet, by the way, so we'll see how it actually plays out. But from the trailer, that's the picture. And the things he's done to other people because he has chosen revenge at different times in his life and he can't get rid of that either. That can't be undone. Now that's fine, but, but you may be thinking, well, sometimes you just want revenge. I mean, I can totally relate to that. Now, my tendency is to think, look, if I can't get back what was taken from me, if I can't somehow undo that, the next best thing is to take as much or more from the one who owes me the one who hurt me. That's my instinct. That's probably your instinct too, but it won't work. If we choose revenge, actually, they owe you and then you hurt them and you owe them. Those debts don't cancel each other out. They just start to pile up. It gets uglier and uglier. We get more and more miserable. And there's one other thing that is so key to understand. Everybody listening, everybody awake, if I choose revenge... If you choose revenge, you are actually 
trying to play God. You are trying to take from God something that he says belongs to him. What a terrible idea, right? We don't want to face off against God. We don't want to try to take things from him that he very clearly says belong to him. And yet, that instinct is there. How do we deal with that? What do we do? The debts are real. They keep piling up on us as we choose resentment, as we choose payback, revenge. As a society, we are so used to dealing with debt, we just think, hey, everybody's in debt. It's normal. We're just going to have to keep going. Don't, don't really worry about it. Try not to pay too much attention to it. Debt is normal. And we think that about the conflicts and the hurts we experience, too, in certain ways. Hey, everybody has to deal with this stuff. Everybody's got people they hate. Everybody's carrying stuff that weighs them down but that they're not willing to deal with. It's just normal. We'll just deal with it. We'll just sort of pretend it's not there. But it's always there. The debt is always there. Have you ever noticed how when somebody owes you money, they don't come around as much? The relationship is broken. It's not going to get restored by pretending that there's not a problem. So what can we do to break free? Well, the good news is God knows this about us. He made us. He made this world. He watched as we chose to break it. He, he sees as it plays out. He knows us intimately. He knows the way forward for us. And as you can see in the, in the outline there, forgiveness is the key to overcoming bitterness and resentment. The only way for the debt to be erased is for it to be paid back, which we can't do. We cannot undo the things we've done or for someone to cancel the debt. And so we are talking about forgiveness today and the amazing freedom that God offers us as he helps us to choose forgiveness. Now, you may be, in your mind, you may be kind of pushing back, and I do too. This is so counterintuitive. Look, if you really knew... You may be thinking, if you really knew what had happened, you wouldn't ask me to forgive. If you really knew what that person did or what I've been through, you wouldn't wouldn't ask that. And it's so counterintuitive. And and I I completely recognize that and I, I feel that way myself. There's a lot of passages in the Bible that are like that. Our native instincts tell us, go this way. The Bible says, go this way. And we think, really? Is that the way? But again, God's the one who designed us. He wired us. He wired that longing for justice in us. And he says, this is the way. You need my perspective. You need my perspective to move forward. So I want to spend a few minutes looking at a passage in Romans 12. This offers God's perspective instead of just mine. Romans is written by a guy named Paul. You may be very familiar with him or you may not know who he is at all. He went from chasing Christians around, trying to hurt them, trying to throw them in prison, approving of their murders, to having an encounter with Jesus, and that encounter changed everything. And Paul, after that, began to work to tell people about Jesus, explain the way to have life to the full, and he had all kinds of problems because of that. The reason I mention that, I mean, he was a mob grabbed him, tried to stone him. They thought he was dead. They, they hit him with enough rocks. He fell down. They thought he was dead. They left him there. He was able to get up and walk away. Another time they grabbed him and the authorities thought, well, he must be part of the problem if this mob is grabbing. They just beat the tar out of him. Another time, uh, more than once actually, I think, his friends were in trouble because of him. Imagine you stand up for what's right and you suffer. But imagine if you stand up for what's right and the people you love suffer. That is a terrible experience. Very, very hard to forgive. And the reason I mention it is because 
As far as we can tell, these things had already happened when he wrote this passage in Romans 12. Here's what he wrote. I love this because it lays it on the bottom shelf for me. You know, I can, I can get it. I can understand it clearly, and I can work with God's help to try to take action on it in my life. Here it is, Romans 12, verses 17 to 21. He says, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thoughts to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If you don't think about it, you're probably going to choose to repay evil for evil. But you've got to think about it. Think about what would be honorable in the sight of everybody. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with everyone, with all. Not just the people you like, the people you get along with easily, the people you think are cool, the people who have never done anything to you. It's all. And then he says, beloved. And I, when I see that, I just think, this is so important. He's saying, I love you guys. Listen to what I'm saying. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And there it is. We do not, we do not want to try to take from God what he says is his. Then he goes on. To the contrary, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Can you imagine you're able to actually give somebody the right kind of shame by treating them well even when they treat you poorly do not overcome evil but overcome evil with good it's very clear but so hard i mean what do we do when someone at the office takes credit for our work someone that's in a in a study group at school takes credit for it what do we do when someone belittles us in front of our friends or our spouse says something insensitive or just doesn't do what they said they would do. What do we do with that? What do we do when our kids don't show the gratitude we think we deserve? Uh, high schoolers here, junior highers here, we would love it if you would show more gratitude to your parents. Just a, just a free one for the parents there. It's, it's something that we deal with on an ongoing basis, right? We do so much and we get so little in gratitude. That's what we think. What do we do with that feeling, right? Uh, our, what do we do when a friend fails to come through on something and then you find out, they just, came, they just found something that was more fun or more convenient, and they blew you off. We face these kind of situations all the time, and we want to make them pay when that happens. They didn't do what we wanted. Maybe they did the exact opposite, so we feel justified to try to hurt them back. But instead, God wants us to focus on doing what is right before God and right before everyone involved. That's actually the honorable way. You may feel like your honor has been hurt when somebody does something wrong to you. The honorable response is actually to do what's right before God and right before everyone involved. And then, of course, we have to let God settle the scores in his timing. It's not a two-hour movie. It may take a lifetime. You may have to wait patiently for years and years and years. But that is for him to do. Whenever we set our hearts on revenge, our hearts get sour. We become destructive. That verse where it says, do not overcome, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Verse 21, I think it is. Can you scroll back down just a second? This, this uh, reminds me of the, uh, the picture of a tsunami. The water comes, it's there, and there is no stopping it now. You will be swept along by it. It will sweep along everything in its path. You can't try to undo a debt that someone owes you. And when you hurt them in response, you're adding to it. It's like you're adding to this, the power of the tsunami, pushing everything back. Now, this doesn't mean that we just lie down 
and take everything. We don't, we don't let evildoers run amok. Yeah, there, there's times when we have to create boundaries. Okay? There's times we have to create the right kinds of boundaries. And there are times when we have to stand up to injustice. When we do that, however, our response needs to flow out of a desire to do good to those people. A desire to do good, to do right in the eyes of everyone. Our focus needs to be on what's right, not on revenge. With God's help, only with God's help, we can aim to do good even to our enemies. And we, again, we trust God to do right by us and we set out to forgive others and do good to them. And this can prevent so much of the damage that's done. We've been damaged, but if we respond in anger and payback and revenge, we cause more damage. And not just to the other person, we cause it to ourselves too. Being able to forgive prevents that damage to others and to ourselves. So, what does this forgiveness actually look like? There's some confusion about this sometimes, and it makes it very hard to move forward. So let's talk for a few minutes about what forgiveness actually looks like. There's, in your notes, I believe there's an outline, and there's three steps. I'm going to look at them real quick, and then we're going to come back and look at them in more detail. The first step is to forgive. I must identify the debt. And that's asking the question, what do they owe me? I was on the train. I felt safe. A few minutes later, I felt terrified. What was taken from me? What do they owe me? The next step is to cancel the debt. I decide that they do not owe me anymore. They don't owe me from now on. That is so hard, but that is the next step, and God helps us to do it. The third step is to refuse to use the debt against them ever again. To refuse to pay them back harm for the harm done to us. So hard, but that is where we find freedom. Now, to go back to step one, when we do this, we need to be specific. When we ask, what do they owe me, we really have to get specific. The tendency is to just be general, to kind of leave it vague. That doesn't bring any healing. Oh, you know, he was, he was really bad to me. Or, oh, yeah, you know, she was, she was cold to me. It's too vague. We have to get specific with it. And this is really hard because some of us have had really deep hurts. The examples I gave today are trivial. You, you may have experienced terrible things, and this is very hard, but we can move through this. It's a process. We can move through it. The best thing might be to take a day, take, take as much time as you need, and list out the things that have been done to you. And then, in a way that makes sense to you, symbolically cancel the debt. You could write paid in full across it. You could, you could shred it. You could decide what what works best for you. And you may need help doing this. Coming here and listening for 30 minutes is not going to resolve this. You may need help, and I encourage you to get it. Get good help if you need it as you work through these things. Don't rush this. It's a process. And it is. It's very painful. But it's like the pain of surgery. You wake up after surgery, and there's, ah. And then you realize, well, they they cut me. (laughs) No wonder I hurt. I've been cut, and then I've been sewn up with a needle. But that surgical pain is going to heal over time. And you know that it was done for a purpose and that the purpose is healing. If you leave the wound there and it's just there, that's a sort of a, more of a stabbing pain and it doesn't go away. You carry it with you. It spills out into your life in ugly ways. 
Now, another thing that sometimes is confusing about forgiveness is that there's really two, there's really two components. It's very helpful to think of it this way. There's the decision to forgive. You can make that decision, but then there's the process of dealing with the pain and hurt of the wrong that was done to you. If we think, I'm just going to say I forgive him, I'm going to like somehow clench my teeth, and I'll be done with it. You won't. If you try to, try to forgive in a general way or you try to push it down, it's like you're packing dynamite. It's going to explode later. You'll either explode in anger or you'll implode and actually damage your physical health over time. So part of it is going to be a process that goes on. And God is faithful to walk with us through that as we ask him for help. But please don't think that just making a one-time decision resolves everything, especially if it's a hurt that's really been lingering for you. Now, the step two is to cancel the debt. And we've, we've, I've sort of been touching on that, but that's where you decide they do not owe me from now on. And there's a trap to watch out for here. Can you guess what it is? There's a big trap about forgiveness, and that is that I tend to think, look, as soon as so-and-so comes over and apologizes to me, I will forgive them. No problem. Done deal. Or as soon as something happens to them that sort of makes me feel like, well, they got theirs, then I'll feel better and I'll forgive them. That is a terrible trap. Don't fall into that trap. We cannot afford to wait until they apologize. It may never happen. And not only that, but it's not enough to close the gap anyway. You cannot undo what's already been done. They can make amends, but they can't undo it. So do not wait to apologize. And then step three, choosing not to pay them back for what they've done. Again, we try to stay general. We try to forgive in a general way. It doesn't work. It comes out of us, the anger that we've bottled up. Harsh words, the cold shoulder, subtle, grown-up ways, right? And in other ways as well. Basically, I'm, I'm seething, and I want payback at some level. If I do this, then I am in the wrong, and now I need forgiveness. And again, those debts don't cancel each other out. And we sometimes will say, well, you know, we should forgive and forget. I, I don't know about you, but there's things that I'm probably never going to forget. And there's things I've done that the other person is probably never going to forget. That doesn't mean that we can't forgive them. We, we may never completely forget certain hurts, and we don't need to pretend that we will. But, and, and that's, the, that's the process side of, of forgiveness. It's going to take time. It's, a, it's an emotional process. That's normal. That's fine. So we don't need to pretend that that's not going to hurt, but we do need to choose to let it be done controlling our thoughts and our actions. Make a choice. I'm not going to try to pay them back. And then, a little later, a chance will come. Either the memory will come back or maybe something will happen and you'll make the choice again. But making that, that firm decision to forgive them earlier really helps with that. And then you, you continue through the process. Oh, this can be so hard. This can be really, really, really hard. And I imagine... You may be thinking of a specific situation right now as you do that. Authentic forgiveness is never cheap. So if you're thinking of something right now, it may be incredibly hard. It's never cheap to really forgive. But it is worth it. It is the only way to fill the gap of injustice. Now, I mentioned before about Paul and how he had some major drama with different people and was still, with God's help, 
able to write what we can now read in Romans chapter 12 about not taking revenge, about choosing to do good even to the people who hurt us. And God allowed him to do that. And I want to close today with the ultimate example of forgiveness, Jesus Christ. Now, Wolverine has tremendous power. Actually, even though I would never really think of Jesus and Wolverine in the same category, Jesus, of course, as the Son of God, had unthinkable power at his disposal. But instead, he chose meekness. That's strength under control. And he chose forgiveness. He experienced terrible things. Betrayed by one of his best friends. Abandoned by most of the others. Publicly humiliated. Have you ever been spit on in public or, or beaten in public? Mocked. And all of this while being innocent. You and I were not innocent. And yet, and he was. And he endured all of this. And if anyone... If anyone had the right to claim payback, to take revenge, it seems like it would be him. But look at what Peter says. Peter, the one who abandoned him, who denied him, and yet later the relationship was restored through forgiveness. Here's what Peter says in verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 23. His reaction, Jesus' reaction to the wrong done to him. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He did not lash back. He didn't make anyone pay. He didn't promise revenge at a later time. How did he do that? He he was able to do it because he entrusted himself to God and God's plan for his life. And we have this choice as well to trust God. God's role is to deal with injustice. Our role, my role, is to choose to trust God in his role. When we entrust ourselves to him, we are deciding to trust him to make things right, to make them right with others, to make them right inside us as we move through the process. We turn to him to free us from the pain and anger we've experienced and to keep walking with us as we work through it over time. Now, remember the quotes from the trailer, what they did to me, what I am can't be undone. Don't be so sure. It's true that the things done to us by others can't be undone, not by us. But justice, the justice we long for, will come. And we are not stuck. We don't have to stay trapped by resentment and unforgiveness. We don't have to stay trapped by resentment and unforgiveness. So as you face pain at the hands of others, you've, you've experienced it. Everyone has experienced it. As that comes up, you can turn to Jesus. And you can say to him, it hurts. And you can listen for his response. Yes, it does. Let's walk through it together. And God will make it right in the end. You can be free from this. You don't have to carry this with you through life. What would it look like in your life as you think about things that still weigh on you, things that you still carry with you? What would it look like to really be free from that? That's what God offers us. I'd like to wrap up the message today by asking you to think through your next steps. We love to talk about next steps here. The band, come on up. We'll get ready for the next song. 
We love to talk about next steps here because we want the Bible to be practical, and it is so practical. We think through next steps each week so that what we learn here we can put into our lives and start to see more and more the blessing that God offers us as we follow him, as we take action on the things he's teaching us. So in your connection card, you can take that out. We, uh, we didn't have them earlier for announcements. You can fill that out. If you're a first-time guest here, we invite you to just fill out as much as you feel comfortable with. That would be great for us. If you're a regular, please put your name and email address and anything else you want to put on there to communicate with us. We love it when everybody fills these out to stay connected and communicate with us. And there's different next steps on there. So as I'm speaking, you can, you can fill that out. And then the offering boxes will come around. You can drop that card just right in the offering box, nice and easy. You may already have a next step. If you have one of your own, I encourage you to ask God for help and to take that next step this week. Some others you might consider are to entrust yourself to God with the pain that you're facing. Another would be to forgive someone for a past wrong or injustice, to make that decision and then to ask God to walk with you as you continue to process and continue to heal over time with God's help. Another, as, as Randy mentioned, we have the Lord's Supper coming up. This is a chance to, to think about how much Jesus has done for us and the way he wants relationships to be restored between us and him and between each other. We hope to see you there. There's other events coming up as well to connect with people here. And we find that as we connect together outside of Sunday mornings, we can really enjoy life more and make progress together. So let me pray for us, and then we're going to continue with another song. Heavenly Father, thank you for offering us this freedom. And I, there are times when I find it unimaginable, and it just seems like that's not possible. That would take a miracle. And yet you tell us that that's what you offer us. And you who designed the whole world and, and knit us together in our mother's wombs and designed our hearts and knows our longings, our sighs, our pains, you tell us that we can be free with your help as we choose forgiveness. And so I ask that for each of us today, you would help us to humble ourselves, to trust you, and to move towards you and the freedom that you offer us. Thank you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.